That's the power to turn back time. This is the power to turn back time. Hey! You see, we got the intro before it begins. And we can go back and fill it in. Hey! That's the power <laughs> to turn back time. And now let's jump to the end where we just got through. It's social <laughs> media something. You gotta come on, man. I'm sorry. You I channel gotta, your inner Eminem here. You gotta. The key is to rhyme the words. Well, I had something, but I lost it. What's up, guys? It's Willie Robertson, and thank you for listening to the Willie Robertson podcast. Uh, as most usual, I have my slobby assistant Johnny D in the house with me. Hello, Johnny D. Hello, boss. You are slobbier than me today, though. You're wearing four shades of neon. But I can, uh, I can always change my game up if I need to. That's the difference in me and you. You pretty much just stick with the slobbiness. Um, <laughs> you do I, own a couple of suits, right? I mean, that. when I need to switch it up, I switch it up. So, uh, man, we got a show for you today. Um, uh, I'm really excited about this guy. You probably don't know this person, but you're going to get to know him. Um, Good friend of mine, Samuel Bistrian. Um, Samuel grew up, grew up in uh, pre-revolutionary Romania, uh, very poor, uh, came to America uh, at age eight, has a lot of siblings, has done a lot of s- just incredible things that has inspired Corey and I and our family. We've uh, traveled together overseas, and we're going to talk to him uh, kind of about his journey, his business he started, and uh, how he gives back. and. Uh, it's just remarkable, and uh, I'm so glad to have him. He um, he is uh, in charge of Aroma Boots, uh, which is how I got to know him, because uh, they have a line of boots with my daughter, Sadie. And so that's how Samuel and I met. And uh, um, Johnny D., you a rubber boot guy? I'm not much of a rubber boot guy, but my son only likes to wear Roma boots. Really? He's two years old, Roma boots, and just butt naked. I saw you. I saw a couple of... Uh, not frontals, but from behind, naked photos my, of your son. My wife does like to post naked <laughs> booty photos all like, over the internet. Like halfway in the dryer and stuff, you know, with the boots on. Uh, well, as an outdoorsman, uh, I'm a believer in rubber boots. Uh, we grew up uh, with them. And, uh, you know, um, there's something about rubber boots. And I, it's so simple, but as we traveled together, we were in Guatemala together, giving boots out to kids. Uh, people that are in poverty... Um, who don't have shoes, and you can imagine the things they step in. Uh, they don't have the sanitary uh, requirements that we have in the U.S. of A., and um, they are very, very um, needed all around the world. Uh, just kind of keeps down infection and worms and all these things. So uh, Sam was in the house, and uh, he's going to talk to us, so let's get going. Samuel, how you doing? Good, Willie. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. So uh, you have such an incredible story. Um and we have traveled together uh, abroad, and so we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, Samuel, tell us about um, kind of who you are and what you do and um, uh, where you came from because uh, it was fascinating to me. Okay, well, my name is Samuel Bistrian, and um, I was born in Romania. I've lived the last 25 years um, in the U.S. I grew up in a very, very large family, one of 12 children. There were six boys and six girls in my family, and um, we grew up in a village about 45 minutes away from where the communist revolution started in Romania, a village of about 100. We were 10% of the village, so um, 
Yeah, when I was six years old, I uh, received my first pair of rain boots that were handed down from older siblings, which really made a big impact in my life because we would have to walk everywhere and do a lot of uh, work in that tiny village from a young age. And um, fortunately, when I was eight years old, we were able to um, escape communism. Actually, communism had just fallen, so we had an opportunity, which was very uh, much a miracle, to migrate to the U.S. as refugees. Oh, so you came over as a refugee at that young age. Now, where are you at amongst the siblings? I'm the ninth. You're the, the ninth? Yes. I'm oh, you're way ninth. down the totem pole. Yeah, I'm the ninth. So, so you got a lot of hand-me-down clothes and shoes and boots. and A lot. In fact, I don't ever remember getting a brand-new pair of anything until my first pair of shoes in the U.S. Uh, from Payless that uh, were bought by a church that was kind of supporting us. Oh, okay. Um, so life in the village over there, you're young. Do you remember a lot of, of Romania and being there in your formative years? Yeah, so I have very vivid memories of uh, Romania. Like I said, I was eight years old when I was able to leave Romania. So from a very young age, I recall um, going around the village because there were so many of us. And there was a widow here that needed help. And there were other um people in the village that didn't have children like like my mom and my dad and so we were always taught from a young age the art of giving um gratitude compassion my parents are christian so they instilled those principles and values in us which i think um helped us to realize that there was always something better or something good on the horizon and so we were extremely poor i recall going to bed hungry many many times while living in romania just because that was the situation under communism. We didn't um, have food. I, I, I remember we had animals, which made it easier for, for us, um, you know, than the people living in the city. But Romania under the communist regime was very, very difficult. And so um, I didn't know I was poor at that time. And so we were happy <laughs> like kids. But because my parents knew we had a purpose in life, they instilled again in us a sense of gratitude um, and, and, and love and purpose. When we finally came to the U.S., we just knew that we had to do something to help the people we love. What was behind. your thought of the United States being in Romania? I mean, what was your idea? Did it match up once you got here? Or was <laughs> well, first of all, I um, never left that village um, to go to a major city so the biggest transition was from the village to Bucharest which was the capital of Romania and then to Rome where we stayed for a few weeks before finally migrating to the U.S. and so just I recall being in Rome Italy with the entire family where we stayed at a hotel and everything seemed so glorious and being able to eat food <laughs> that was different <laughs> from what we had normally eaten, uh, and, uh, and then finally to Chicago O'Hare Airport, which was just so phenomenal and just such a monumental experience. I remember the first time I set foot in a grocery store, and one of the things that really shocked me was that it was nighttime, and there were lights everywhere, and it was an Aldi, and it was just so bright in there, and my eyes were almost hurting because it was so bright, because in Romania, we didn't have those lights not in the village anyway and um electricity 
would be cut off very, very uh, consistently. So normally at night, the sunset, we went to bed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, That's a totally different way of uh, living life. But, but in some ways, you know, uh, looking back, I was the same way. I, I tell people the same story you're telling when I said when we were young, we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. Uh, we were happy and everything seemed, uh, okay. So now you're in Chicago, the whole family. Now, now financially, how does that happen that you're able to fly, you're able to stay in Rome? How did that happen financially for you guys, for your family? Yeah. So we were supported again. We came as refugees and then there were some, um, churches in, um, Chicago that were kind of helping us make Mm -hmm. this transition. So once we arrived in, in Chicago, um, we uh, lived in a two-bedroom um, apartment in our city, Chicago. So that was um, it was great to be in the U.S. But if you recall, um, Chicago in the early '90s it was very dangerous, right. very dangerous. And we were in the inner city, and we didn't speak the language. We were all in this apartment. So I think that that made it very difficult for us. But at the same time, you know, I remember going. Uh, to doctor's appointments and to get uh, welfare and uh, whatnot with the whole crew, you know, just going from this office to the other and it was cold. And But there was a sense of um, relief that we felt, you know, to be able to be in this melting pot of a city. Right. Quite a transition, you know, from 100 people in this village to the third largest city in the u.s right. was there was there um crime in the village where you were at no we didn't have crime i mean uh, i i don't ever remember you know so you go from a village like that into one of the i mean let's face it chicago is is known for its uh you know criminal behavior and uh sadly is one of the in the one of the u.s cities that has a lot of crime were you guys frightened and scared and did y'all have family talks about this is where we go this is where we don't go this yeah so that was that was uh uh, difficult i remember having a friend of the family that would come in this very big black van and we uh would all you know just pile up in the van and that would be our um weekly ride to church we went to uh to a romanian church and then um there wasn't a whole lot of exploring to be done in the city. I mean, it was just something that we were afraid of. It's mm-hmm. something that we've not experienced before. During the summer times uh, while living in Chicago, we would do activities, you know, with, um, you know, going to Silver Lake and doing things like that. But for the most part, during the winter, and, you know, winter in Chicago is, is pretty long, we stayed put. We were in the apartment, and anytime we would hear a random knock at the door, we were always frightened. <laughs> so you had how many people in this two-bedroom apartment? Uh, there were 13 of us. So 13 was, <laughs> people in a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, it was my mom and my dad. So you didn't have your own bedroom taken. <laughs> it wasn't 11 and 1 and you and... No, we, we piled up on, on the beds. The boys in one room, on one bed, the girls in another. But it worked. We made it work. Well, uh... That's what an incredible. So now, did you become? How quickly did you become United States citizens? Yeah. So eventually, after living uh, in Chicago for a couple of years, of all places, my parents visited Knoxville, Tennessee, with a family friend, and they just fell in love with Knoxville. They it was rural. It was more laid back. 
somehow reminded him of Romania in a way after two years, you know, of uh, living in, in Chicago. And so we all moved. We got in, we, we got our first car, which was this big station wagon. And off to Knoxville we went with yeah. a big U-Haul truck. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> it was very, very interesting. You know, we went from this. Yeah, Knoxville and Chicago, a little bit different vibe. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So from this big city in the U.S. to Knoxville. And um, we didn't have money, so we lived in the government housing proj- uh, projects. Christenberry Heights was the neighborhood that we lived in. And uh, in, a, in a way, we felt good about it. But in a different way, you know, we had our own house now but uh, very soon we would encounter uh that there were blacks and there were whites and then there was the romanian family (laughs) so life in the projects was very very (laughs) rough but uh, after living in the projects for a while uh eventually we uh, got uh things rolling and um we did get uh, our u.s uh citizenship in 1995 Mm -hmm. a couple years after living in knoxville Fortunately, through um, the help of uh, these churches that would uh, come around uh, in the the um, communities, uh, Boys and Girls Club and the project, and um, come help us through Christmas, we were able to be introduced to Habitat for Humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, through Habitat for Humanity that our life in the U.S. turned a whole new chapter. Right. Because of our grades, we were able to accumulate uh, points, and we were able to get a house a lot faster than most people were. So while we were living in this um, five-bedroom house in the project, life there was very difficult because um, our dumpsters would get set on fire. My mom would plant flowers and um, tomatoes around the house. We felt like, okay, this is our time to finally live the American dream and little did we know that these people were very hateful. And just as the tomatoes would get big enough, they would come and just smash them around the, um, the house. We would have uh, these thugs uh, literally just gambling on our front porch, uh, just um, agitating us and uh, take bottles of 40s and just smash them against the house. I remember being out there um, with a family trying to play soccer in the front yard, and we would always get cuts in our in our feed because there was just glass, broken glass everywhere. So while I was grateful to have an opportunity to move to Knoxville, the projects uh, were a very difficult time right. for us. Right. So you end up, so you grow up, you're, uh, you know, educated here. Um, what was your dream and what did you want to do? I mean, you have uh, a part of America. I don't know if I'd call it a dream at this point <laughs> uh, from what you're describing. I guess it's, uh, you know, you're here. And so you certainly have opportunities. And um, um, was business something that you always wanted to to be? Or what did you want to do whenever you grew up and got old enough to to make those decisions? Yeah, so the seeds that my parents instilled in us in the village, you know, um, giving back, uh, being grateful for what you have, um, knowing from a young age that you had a purpose in life. That was something that just kept growing despite the challenges that we faced. In fact, I'm grateful for the challenges in Chicago. I'm so grateful for the opportunities of living in the projects, even though a lot of my childhood friends were shot or died, um, ODing on drugs. All of that built 
character, it allowed us to be exposed to everything which was uh, something that instilled a sense of perseverance, being able to connect with people from all various walks of life. So I do not uh, regret going through that. Do I want my daughters to go through that? Probably not. Right. But at the same time, I don't have any regrets, and I'm glad that it worked out the way that because we knew that the opportunity would come where we would be in a position to help others just like we were helped. And um, as, um, you know, we moved from the project to this house and literally this house in Knoxville that my parents still live in to this day, they just paid it off actually five years ago through Habitat for Humanity, very small house, but that changed everything for us. As each sibling graduated from high school they moved to Dallas to go to college mm-hmm. and um, we started seeing this American dream beginning to unfold and that you know I got my first job you know when I was 14 uh, selling uh, newspapers and we all couldn't wait to have an opportunity to start producing uh, remember living in the projects many kids many people living there are still living there, and they were content with that we knew we wanted something more because the country offers something more and so um, yes I was um, you know graduating high school and it was my turn to follow in the footsteps of my brothers and you know move to Dallas and get a better job and and move on with my life and so I did I moved to Dallas went to college there and that's where I met my uh, beautiful wife uh, while I was in college and she was a international student from Cali Columbia and so after finishing college we both wanted to serve and so we went to uh, do humanitarian work in Cuba, Colombia, and Panama, and that uh, left uh, such an impact in my life, knowing that I wanted to be able to do that um, on a grander scale. I just didn't know where and how, and so after spending six months abroad, I came back to to Dallas, and uh, I started working in uh, fashion and retail for Neiman Marcus, where uh, I worked for 10 years and providing for, for my family. We, we got married, my wife and I, in 2003, um, and, um, and then we had uh, our first child in 2004, and so life, life began for us. Right. What was your uh, degree in from college? Communications. Communications. Of all things, yeah. It was not, <laughs> it was not business. Not business, and uh, so you end up with Neiman Marcos, and then, so tell me about, Roma Boots, and uh, which will be our connection, and this is how I met Samuel. Um, uh, so tell me about Roma and how this idea started and just the business that you guys are running now. Yeah, so as each sibling graduated from college, uh, they felt called to give back, to finally put into practice what we've been taught all along. So one moved back to Romania to start an orphanage. My oldest sister did that. Uh, the oldest brother went back to start a school and other siblings followed in their footsteps again because i married this um colombian girl i went to latin america so uh, <laughs> to learn spanish and kind of connect a little bit with her culture and whatnot and um you know we came back from there and uh i needed a job you know and working at neiman marcus i would take these trips to romania in the summers or to colombia for the holidays and I would see so much need. And here I am at Neiman's, you know, started off uh, unloading boxes, um, 
you know, as a seasonal job for the holidays there and uh, worked my way into management. You know, here I am selling fur coats to Dallas Socialites for, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you know. And um, I just felt that um, I wasn't doing enough. While I'm visiting these poor communities, seeing what my siblings are doing, I felt a sense of emptiness. But at the same time, I knew that there was a purpose for me in all of this. And so... I um, took a year off to do some soul searching, and uh, during that time, I um, really reflected on what I wanted to do, and that this life at Neiman's wasn't um, exactly fulfilling me. And um, after that year, I um, was able to meet Blake Mikowski, the founder of Tom's, uh, at Neiman Marcus. I had gone back uh, again for a few months at Neiman's, and it was there that uh, I said to him, I said, do you do anything for kids living in cold and wet climates? And uh, he's like, well, we provide canvas shoes right now. We're in Argentina. We're in Africa and a few places, but we don't do anything in, in Eastern Europe or Romania. And I realized there was a vacuum there. And I felt like meeting Blake was the catalyst for me to want to do something um, in the sense of combining my love of fashion with philanthropy. And we would send clothing to Romania every year. We would send shoes to Romania every year just because we did that. But we weren't able to make the impact that I knew we could make if we did things differently. And so after meeting Blake, I said, wow, well, here we are. I mean, I know how big rain boots are. I know that he's not producing rain boots. I know that he's not necessarily focusing on Eastern Europe right now or cold and wet climates. So I left Neiman Marcus and uh, I said, I want to start... Roma Boot, and that's how Roma was born. Hmm. Right out of there. And so where did this calling for you to to help and give back, I mean, where did that come from your parents? I mean. Yeah, so as I was relaying earlier, they believed in helping people because they are um, Christian first and foremost, and loving God and loving your neighbor are our biggest callings as Christians. And so um, that was something that uh, was instilled in us from from a young age. And so it would be, I think, extremely selfish for us to leave this small village in Romania, extreme poverty, come to the U.S., have the opportunities that we have, and forget about those people. It would be very selfish. So that's why all my siblings, or at least half of my siblings now, are back in Romania serving, doing work to help those people. Um, My calling, I think, was a little bit different because I've always enjoyed fashion. And uh, I knew that I could do something on a much bigger scale, you know, not only provide for my family, but being able to help children around the world. So that year in 2010, when I left Neiman Marcus, April 3rd, I still remember it was a Saturday. I didn't really have a idea of what I was going to do other than I want to sell boots. I want to be able to donate boots and I want to create jobs. <laughs> and, um, I knew that, uh, two key components for me were quality and customer service, which, I took from Neiman Marcus, but I knew that that was the foundation that I wanted to build a business on. So I left Neiman Marcus with nothing. I ended up selling my car. I put things on Craigslist. Um, I had $5,000 in my checking account and $40,000 in student loans and credit card debt, but I had a sense of purpose for doing this. 
uh, I really, really felt in my heart a passion to, to do this after meeting Blake. And so uh, part of having a big family is that though you're denied you know, money from a bank and you're not able to uh, really get a loan from anyone, especially during that time we were in a recession in 2010, you know, borrowing a thousand dollars from this sibling, another thousand from uh, the other one, you're able to come up with at least enough to get right. things started, and so that's what I did. So, what interests me um, is I want to go back to your your parents. Now, how were they? Where did they find their faith? Was it missionary? Was there? Did they come from a line of Christianity in Romania? So, my mom comes from a very strong. Um, Christian family. Her uh, father converted to Christianity um, when she was young, and um, my dad became a Christian when he was 30, and he was very, very, um, I would say, radical as a Christian. He really took the Bible for what it said, and um, he became a preacher. He would go evangelize the communities where we grew up in in Romania and Transylvania, and uh, from a young age, I remember that every morning, you know, we started with a prayer. We ended the day with prayer. We would have people come to our house and we would, you know, sing and pray. That was just something that they loved, you know. They were um, not, I would say, very educated people. My mom's uh, education went to fourth grade. That's, mm-hmm. you know, but they had a lot of common sense and they had right. wisdom and love, you know, for God and for their neighbor. Right. And so they wanted to pass that along to us. Right. Um, so now we're back, um, you know, right here. You have this opportunity to start a business. I think there's so many people out there. I was another one who didn't quite know. I didn't have all the answers uh, whenever I came back to our family business with Duck Commander uh, to take it over. I didn't know that I would take take it over. I didn't know where exactly we were going to head down this road i knew i had something in me and uh um interesting interestingly enough we share the same uh uh philanthropic um thought of wanting to give back and i remember you know being at a christian camp i was working at and thinking you know i was trying to raise money for this thing and i was like if i could i think i make it go get the money you know i think i could be the one who could perhaps earn some money to help out others and so uh that same calling in you, you know, mm-hmm. was to, to help to give, especially uh, from your home country, uh, was to give back. So so you have little money. <laughs> you have uh, you have a lot of uh, go-get-it-ness, but, um, you know, you take five grand. And um, how do you end up, you know, what were the challenges for you to start this thing, get it off the ground, and actually, you know, sell your product and your dream and vision? Yeah, so... While I had this passion, I knew that, you know, passion alone will not be able to necessarily create a strong business model here. The idea was that we would sell boots, donate boots, and, you know, help create jobs in communities in Romania. So at the beginning, we said we wanted to be able to help the kids in Romania. We want to produce the boots in Romania. And so... Um, I uh, decided that in that year we would produce 10,000 boots, 5,000 to sell, 5,000 to donate. Didn't have the money that I could 
get. I did borrow some money from siblings that was able to help me initiate production for 30, um, um, well, for the first 30%. I was able to put that deposit down. But um, after selling my car, after pawning things, doing all that I could, I remember uh, getting a call from Neiman Marcus and they said, hey, we'd like for you to come back uh, as a director of sales and travel. And I'm thinking to myself, this has been a very long summer, you know. I couldn't get the money. I couldn't <laughs> do what I could, but I still want to do it. So I ended up going back to Neiman Marcus to right. fund the business. And um, those are the kind of decisions that people have to make. And it's almost like, do I, do I, do I give up on the dream because it's a solid income? And it's uh, and that's where I think, as people in business, you have to make those decisions and when to make your money and when to, you know do other things and there's times you have to do things to to fund and make money you know because you have to fund yourself and uh uh and you may think ah i'm giving up on this to go back to the to the safe you know what's safe right because as a bunch of entrepreneurs you know sometimes you're out there dangling you know and you're not quite sure uh i've had many people leave me uh say you know i'm moving on because they come in they work for a company and it in some ways, it seems easy because I provide all the computers, I provide all the phone lines, I provide everything, and then they start thinking, "This is easy. I could do this myself. Well, why, why am I just making a paycheck? Well, I could go start my own business." And I say, "Go for it. Go ahead and start your bit." They take off, and then uh, four months later, they come back to the doorsteps and they go, "This is a lot harder than I thought because every two weeks I wasn't getting that paycheck and." Uh, things weren't coming through so it's it's uh and then some people go on and do great and some people have to come back so it's interesting that you're at this time frame now to where you're having to make a decision whether to go back you know into corporate world and work for someone else that's right and that was the it was very difficult but i felt like i needed to go back and even leaving it neiman's initially was a tough decision because i had security i had insurance um i had a very good salary we had just purchased our first house uh my wife and i but it was very and you have kids at this point correct i had both both them oh so you have both so you have two little kids and yeah as everyone knows are expensive and uh, (laughs) they get sick and they need things and so in a sense it was a step of faith but then i'm like okay i started out because i wanted to help these people but now i'm not able to get money that i need all i need is fifty thousand to really launch this business and it doesn't look like it's happening. And sometimes it's hard to decipher between, is this a door closing uh, and I just need to do something different? Or is this God trying to teach me to persevere? Right. <laughs> so I ended up going back to Neiman Marcus, but I didn't want to give up on Roma because right. I knew why I started that. The motivation behind Roma was always love. And in fact, Roma spelled backwards is amor, which means love. And I always said that when I started, I said, I'm going to do this because I want to help these children living in poverty. And I'm not doing this to build a name for myself. I'm making plenty of money at Neiman Marcus, or I'm comfortable at least at Neiman Marcus. And so when I left to do this, I felt like I needed to do it. And we ended up producing 10,000 boots. I still recall being in the Detroit airport in October taking a flight to Shanghai, and I was still $25,000 short to make that final payment for the 10,000 boots that we would produce. And I get a call as I'm walking down the jetway into the airport from an uncle saying, hey, give me your account number. I could wire this into to the account. And that right there was just like, wow, okay, I know somebody's going to provide for this, right. you know, for me to move forward. Well, and I, th- I think those are the decisions. I think as now we get into – 
uh, our faith in Christianity and then we get into business. And I think so many people in business they and who are Christians and they start thinking, is this God wanting me to do this? Is this? And they, they try to make all these roads like there's just one road. And what I've learned in business and in life is sometimes it's both, you know. Sometimes one road may circle back around. You'll catch back up on that road again. And through all of it, you're gaining knowledge and experience and you always keep your faith, um, but you gain experience from that going, oh, I go back, I do this. It was. It's not always just one path. Like, And I've seen people sitting there literally doing nothing because they're not quite sure what God wants them to do next. And I'm like, just do something. And wherever you go, whatever road you go down, just take God, God's with you, mm-hmm. wherever it is. And so you may end up here and go, whoop, wrong turn. <laughs> I may go back up the road that I just walked a mile up, and I may walk all the way back down the end and rethink that and go, how about we do this? But walking down that road, I learned a lot. I, I learned maybe what to do, what not to do. And so these are things. This is where we meld our, our faith and our business and entrepreneurship together if you believe in God. Now, to a non-believer in God, they're thinking you're insane for thinking to something yeah. that doesn't even exist as to what the next move and they consider it perhaps luck and you got lucky here and you got lucky there and you got lucky here which you know as i follow your life from a child all the way up it's a lot of luck you know i mean to not believe in something yeah a lot of luck a lot of luck happened and that's there's other people in the world who just aren't lucky and you know if that's our worldview is just you know it's all based on luck that's to me kind of sad no i think you just made a great point i remember wanting to do this and many of my executives that I spoke to at Neiman's before leaving said hey you got to get your ducks in a row here no pun intended <laughs> no pun intended but you have to have a, a strategy you're going to uh we're in a recession you're going to need at least 2 years before the prototype the business plan it all comes the banks together banks aren't giving any money i remember i was in business at the same oh. time and you go to a bank to borrow money and it's like no good yeah. you know and so nobody was doing these things they want a 5 year plan a 10 year plan and i i was like yeah, i didn't have one i was like i'm trying to think of a month plan because i got to figure out next month how to pay my employees so you're exactly right they said it's the wrong possible time to start a business Again, in my heart, I'm feeling doom, 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 doom. It's the time <laughs> to start a business, to do this, to walk right. out, just step out. So here I am, off to China. I just got a $25,000 loan, and I felt like, okay, this thing is really starting to click. I'm back in Neiman Marcus by this time. I had just started Neiman Marcus in October. I had three days to pretty much go to China, look at the product, and come back and get the money uh, to the to the supplier. And um, so I, I'm back at Neiman's traveling every week. And then I had one week off for the holidays, for Christmas. I used that week to do our first boot drop in Romania. Even before we sold any boots, we had American Airlines ship a 1,000 boots to Romania that arrived there a day before. It was December 23rd. And on Christmas Eve, I was able to get there. We went into this community where my sister uh, started the orphanage. And it was just a full community of Roma people, gypsies, which is a derogatory term. They're referred to as Roma. And it was Christmas Eve, and I'm just thinking to myself, it doesn't feel like Christmas. It was dark and gloomy, and there was slush and mud on the floor. You could hear like a random dog barking in the distance or a, a child screaming. 
And I'm thinking to myself, my wife and my daughters are probably back in Dallas at North Park Mall right now enjoying the festivities, the lights, all of that. And these people don't know it's Christmas. And we come in with this van full of bright red, yellow, blue rain boots, and which are the colors of the Romanian flag. That's why we decided to go with those. We also had all of these school supplies that were donated to us by the Dallas Police Department from coloring books to crayons and we hand them out to these kids go from house to house and it was a glorious moment i mean it was so monumental these kids faces as they all started running out of their houses with broken shoes and or no shoes at all or their daddy shoes and we're putting these bright color rain boots on them i mean it was so awesome that i said i want to be able to repeat the same experience throughout the world no matter how long it takes those are the kind of experiences that you can't um that just don't happen in business and uh they just have to happen and so so as the story goes along um you guys approached sadie about uh her involvement with this boot line at the time i don't know i'm not a big uh I'm not a big fashion guy or connoisseur of uh, footwear. Uh, my wife is and my uh, girls are for sure. But um, So I hear this opportunity. You guys get together. And um, uh, we were actually – and then I saw a photo shoot here in West Monroe, Louisiana with Sadie. She was super excited about the product. And, uh, and then Corey wants me to go to Guatemala uh, to go on a kind of a – kind of a family trip for christmas ironically enough and then also to, to do a boot drop with you guys and um so with Corey's side of the family we decided we had this feeling you know we're sitting around christmas and we give tons of gifts and my kids have so many things and they almost you see them especially when they're younger they open one up and they chunk it and they open another one up and it's just more 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 what's the next gift and uh that kind of left us with a with an odd feeling and we thought how about we go somewhere else and do something for someone else uh during the christmas and we took all the money that we'd normally spend on presents and we put it into this uh this guatemala trip and uh where you guys were there and so for the first time i i experienced what you experienced where we show up to a village and kids come up with no shoes or uh torn up shoes or and then we have all these boots and so i would sit and uh i was the candy man i would give out candy as well and there were people who were you know making sure the sizes were right and uh and then just seeing you know hundreds of kids run around with these brand new boots the feeling that you saw that they had the feeling that it gave us was just incredible and i experienced what you experienced there in romania and when you can do that through business so when you can work a business and then you can help provide for others, um, it's just an amazing, an amazing feeling uh, of what you can do to give back. And so uh, as we try to produce this in others, because my hope, Sam, is to produce this in others that they share the same feeling that we had when, when you're able to give back sure. and think out of yourself and not just think about all the stuff that you have or your family and your kids and make sure that we get ours because a, a lot of people have that feeling. I think that's exactly right. I believe every organization, every company needs to um, include giving back in their corporate model. And for us, you know, we do, for every pair of boots that we sell, we donate one, but we take it a step further where we invest in education. So 10% of all the proceeds get allocated to educational initiatives in these uh, communities. But I can tell you the joy that one feels, the inspiration when they put on a pair of rainbows for these kids that's such a 
a basic necessity, but for them it's so essential. And it's so urgent. I mean, rain boots throughout the world are so necessary because these kids don't have sidewalks, paved roads to walk on. They're walking through mud, slush. They're walking through the mountains, you know, to get to school. So that's why rain boots are so critical and sanitary at the same time. But I tell people this all the time. Whether, uh, you know, I'm speaking to a politician, you know, a celebrity or a poverty-stricken peasant in a village, that message of hope and love resonates the same. And that's what these kids are getting. That's what they're hearing when we go in there. And to be able to also tell them, hey, I too was in your shoes or lack of shoes as a kid. You know, their face is just beam with hope and they feel inspired that they can to give. But I think only hope and love can inspire whether it's, a, again, a rich person or a poor person that way right. and that's what we're witnessing not only in romania guatemala but 25 countries now that we've gone to and hopefully we make it 250 and beyond right so tell me that i mean you you came over to america as a as a young child grew up were educated worked hard started this business what's the problem in america why aren't what's the disconnect with some americans some americans young people as to why they don't have that same spirit of working hard and uh, growing a business and giving back to others. Um, and coming from a different country, I'm interested in your perspective from not uh, being born here as I was. Um, what do you see? What have you learned or what do you see as the disconnect there? This is easy. Entitlement. I think that that's the number one problem that I see. There's this sense of entitlement that I deserve this, that, uh, you know, um, and it's getting worse in many ways where, uh, you don't realize that most of the world lives in poverty. Your average American lives a rich life compared to most of the world, you know? And so I don't think we really get it when we can produce and do anything here, whether it's flipping burgers at McDonald's, mowing grass, you know, uh, for somebody. I mean, I did that early on because I felt like, wow, I could make my own money. I could start taking care of myself, you know, from a very young age. So I think sometimes we become numb to that, that there's these opportunities here and you have uh, immigrants coming and taking care, uh, taking advantage of those opportunities sometimes more than the people that are born here with all those rights. And I think if we only wake up to the fact that we've had it so good for so long, then we begin to appreciate the values that we do have, the uh, rights that we do have, the freedoms that we do have to be able to accomplish anything and do anything. And so I feel and like... you have kids now, so do you worry that they'll have that same sense of entitlement that, that you didn't have that you see in America? So part of my answer is that whether I can buy something for them <laughs> or not... But don't you want I to just you, buy everything you can because you didn't have that when you were... You want to, but I know what that's going to produce in them. And so I bring them on boot drops with them. I remind them of the poverty that is all around the world, you know, so they don't become entitled, you know. I make... Well, we make uh, my wife and I, you know, the younger sister has to wear the older sister's clothes in, in, in many cases, right. you know. So they could understand, you know, from doing chores to uh, whatever it is that they don't grow up and become spoiled because it's so easy to go down that slippery slope with kids, you know. Right. And I think a lot of parents struggle with that. They do. Uh, and I grew up 
poor as well and i just wanted to buy my kids everything i want you know and you struggle with that um immigration's a hot topic right now illegal immigration and not even immigration as it is i mean um what's your feeling now of immigrants coming to america um especially with your story um and and illegal immigration and people that end up getting here um well, I what's can, your thoughts on that? I can tell you that when we became U.S. citizens, it was so uh, much an honor. And for us, we were just like, wow, we felt included finally. You know, I still remember going with my dad to Louisville, Kentucky, where we got our citizenship and taking all these pictures and celebrating. It's 1995, five years after we got here, we're finally U.S. citizens. We had a blue American passport. It took so much pride in that. And so... I know what it meant for us to get here to claw our way up. And there's a sense of gratitude and appreciation for being able to do that. And there's siblings. Um, well, I would say I have a sister. So there's a sibling that's uh, in Romania that has tried to come here. There's other family that have tried to come here legally and they get rejected. And Romania is part of the EU right now. And here they are trying to do it the proper way and they're not able to come. Meanwhile, you know, People are able to flood across our southern border illegally, and there's um, there's no consequences. I feel like there's a disconnect there where people are trying to do it the right way, and they're not able to. You know, the embassy is rejecting their ability to come here. But on the other hand, you know, thousands and, and millions are coming. And so that rubs me the wrong way. I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that, <laughs> you know, and you live in Texas, so you're you're in the state that's on that southern border. So, no, I think I get it. I think I think we're all trying to figure out. You know, I mean, I think we all want people to have that American dream and have the chance at that. However, there is a process, and just like you guys, I mean, are fruits of that. There's a process there that you know that that has to go. I mean, you and you appreciate have... the values of the country. You love what the country has provided for you. Once you become a citizen the right way, once you do it the right way, and you love the country and you want to defend all of that. So, I'm a loyal patriot of the U.S. Despite the fact that I was born in Romania, my parents, you know, are Romanian. All my family's Romanian because. I see what America has provided for us, and we did it the proper way, like many other people I think over the years right. have done it. So right. I think that gets diluted when you're just allowing floods of people right. to come in and not acclimate. Right. I agree. Well, Sam, it's been a great talk. Uh, thank you so much for coming down. We had dinner last night and uh, have traveled overseas. I foresee us uh, doing more trips in the future. Thank you for uh, uh, the business, especially my daughter, Sadie. She loves your product. Uh, where do you get? Uh, where does someone get Roma boots and uh, help out with the cause and business that you've started? Yeah, well, we're so happy to have Sadie on board. I can tell you since last year, the collection that we did with Sadie has been our bestseller. The boots are sold in 300 stores around the U.S., boutique stores. They're also sold at Nordstrom's online and in stores. They're also sold at DSW online and in stores and uh, romaboots.com. Mm-hmm. That's great. Samuel, uh, continue on the path you're on. Uh, I've been inspired just by hearing the story and uh, hearing where you guys come from. And it gives me hope uh, uh, in our country. And uh, it's lo- I love to hear other people brag about this country that came over and that it provided the opportunity. So uh, thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you down the road. Willie, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an honor. All right, guys, there you go. Uh, that was Samuel and his story. Um, very incredible. And I hope... Uh, 
I hope the things that we do here inspire you, and that's part of my goal is just to uh, inspire you guys just like I've been inspired. And as I run into people who have stories and who do things and take action, it's inspiring to me. So uh, let's finish off uh, with a little word from the Lord here and uh, to encourage you uh, for your day, for your week, for your month. And um, today we're going to come out of the book of Luke, um, chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. So I don't know how many tunics you have. Uh, I don't know that I have a tunic, but um, I do have some boots. Uh, Samuel has some boots. He has two pair, and he wants to give away one, and that's the whole concept behind what they're doing is uh, uh, as he sells a pair of boots, he gives... uh, someone in that needs them uh, a pair of boots and so we should do that with all things in our life uh, especially as blessed as we are here in america um, it's about sharing and giving back and those are the stories that inspire us and uh, so i hope you're inspired talk to you next time from the fox news podcasts network in these ever-changing times you can rely on fox news for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts